Matthew chapter 2, we're going to learn um, some lessons this morning from some pagan mystics about how to love Jesus better. How awesome is that? Um, beats where you get most of your information. Matthew chapter 2 is, um, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And so he says this in Matthew chapter 2 verse 21, uh, verse 1. He says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, he says, behold. And in the Greek that means, this is a big deal, so listen up. That's, so he's like, okay, just in case that you were, uh, in case I lost you in chapter 1, this is a big deal here. And what is the big deal that Matthew was talking about? He says, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And now this is a story that I know you're familiar with. And if you've seen any kind of a nativity set, like you see the wise men right there, right? You've got the, you've got the cute stable and you've got the little manger and baby Jesus down there and you've got, but I hate to disappoint you, but the wise men weren't there. All right, the wise men weren't there yet. It's, uh, uh, we're going to find out here in a minute, they were actually quite a ways away yet. They, they weren't actually in the nativity set Yet, but it's still pretty. Don't take it back. Uh, it's still kind of a, if you, okay, so I'll help you do the math later if you want. They were actually 900 miles away from Bethlehem at this point. So if you want to do the math, how big your living room is compared to how big your, your nativity set is, where, the, where you need to place them on Christmas morning <laughs> in order to be accurate and then work them until, anyway, um, I'm just trying to help. But these wise men were, there's even a song out called, We Three, what? Kings. They weren't kings. Okay? Anybody, oh my goodness, this, this is going to date me so badly. The Claymation's Christmas? <laughs> Whatever happened to that? We still have Rudolph, but we don't have Claymation's? We three kings of Orientar and the three knobby-kneed camels come in and they sing the Motown version of We Three Kings of Orientar. Oh, come on, people. You don't even know what good music is anymore. So, I know. I know you didn't say that, Melody. I know you didn't say that. It would have been accurate if you said some people aren't that old. But when you said we, I know you didn't mean you. Uh, so these, these uh, wise men, it's kind of a, uh, so these were revered men from the Orient, probably Persia, which is Iraq today, um, 900 miles away. These were like science slash math slash literature slash priests. They were um, stargazing bookworms. They were honored Men in the Persian government, they were looked to as, as mystical leaders. Like they knew things that people weren't supposed to know. They had the ability to gain information. If you remember the book of Daniel from the Old Testament, like the wise men that would consult with the king on matters, that's, that's who we're talking about here. So they arrived, this story now, so, so it starts off, Matthew chapter 2 starts off and it says now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, and, and this, this is actually happening uh, just before Jesus turns two years of age. 
and, and there's a lot of explaining to do to, to get there. Um, but uh, so these, these guys come just before Jesus turns uh, two years old. How many were there? We say, I mean, we know there were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that does not indicate how many actual wise men there were. There could have been any number. I mean, I've, I've read everywhere from two because there were men, right? They were plural, uh, all the way up to several hundred. I don't think there were because they went into the house to meet Jesus unless it was a really big house. Um, so they travel from Persia. They travel all the way to Jerusalem and they, we, and, and they go to see Herod, who was the king of the Jews. Catch that. So he is, he is the, he is the one who is in Jerusalem on behalf of the Roman government. And his title was, Herod's title was king of the Jews. And, um, what, what I love is that, is that when they come to see Herod, they ask Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, Herod was a loony bin. Herod was, was a paranoid tyrant. He killed three of his own sons. He killed one of his ten wives. Killed one of his mother-in-laws, which I can understand. Wow. <laughs> His mother-in-law, not mine. I'm just saying. I love my wife's mother-in-law. <laughs> he killed a high priest, several uncles and cousins, right? So this guy was not, he, he was, he, okay, he was at least incredibly paranoid in defending his position as king of the Jews. So the wise men come in to his court and say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So they do some research for him and they let him know that, that according to the ancient texts, which we see in the Old Testament, that this king of the Jews is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they send him, they send the wise, Herod sends the wise men to Bethlehem to go find this king of the Jews. And so they leave the presence of Herod and he tells them, well, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him as well. But we know that he really wasn't intent on worshiping him. He was going to kill him because later on when he didn't, hear back from the wise men because an angel told the wise men not to go back and tell Herod. He just went ahead and had all the male children in the whole town two two years of age and under killed. And that's why an angel told Joseph and Mary to take Jesus to Egypt for a period of time to protect him. So there's a whole lot to this story, right? So they leave Herod and they go to Bethlehem, and that's kind of where we pick up here in verse 10. Believe it or not, that was quicker than reading everything and trying to explain it to you. So here we are in verse 10. It says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented or they offered unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I don't know how the star appeared 
in the sky or how it says in verse 9, it came to rest over the place where the child was. That's, that's mind-blowing when you really think about it. Because it wasn't like it just went over the city of Bethlehem. It wasn't like it just was over that particular block or over that street. The light or the star that they followed was actually over the house. I don't get all of that. I don't understand it. But we're not given any more information than what we see in verse 9. And we're not told, so apparently we don't need to know. But wow, kind of cool. So what do we gain from this experience of when the wise men saw Jesus. And there's so much to unpack here, so much to unravel from all of this because there is so much that we can learn from these stargazing bookworms that weren't even Jewish that came seeking the king of the Jews. So when they saw Jesus... Oh, and by the way, so, so here's what's exciting to me. Wherever you are this morning, right? You're like, ah, you know, I've been following Jesus my whole life. Or I, I've, I've, I grew up in America, so I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian, by the way. That's a life, that, that, that's something that happens internally. That's a, that's a relationship. That's a change of life. That's, a, that's, that's an eternal destination, um, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. You understand? So, so I don't know where you're at this morning on your spiritual journey. Um, but wherever you are, if you are a Jesus follower, the Bible calls it being born again, um, or not. Or you're, you're still trying to, to figure all of this out. And by the way, we're all welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, this works. Because here you have these Persian mystics that, that were just curious about this astronomical sign that they saw. And they followed it because they knew there was some significance there. And they had read in some writings about this king. And, and they, were, they were curious and so maybe that's you this morning, just curious, like I'm here this morning and I'm curious. But then there's also so much application for those of us who claim Christ as Savior. And we have a relationship with him. And the first thing that I see here that's exciting to me is that they got happy, right? They celebrated. They celebrated. When they saw the star, there's four Greek words there. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's a lot of happiness. That's more than a fist bump. All right? That's, okay, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Four different Greek words there. They got that happy because they saw a star that was going to take them to Jesus. Let me just say this. We ought to be a happy people. We just ought to be a happy people. Jesus is a difference maker. How many, how many Christians do you know are underjoyed? I mean, not you, but people you know. And you're like, if that was, if I had met them before I met Jesus, I probably wouldn't have been interested in Jesus. But if you know Jesus, I mean, you're a child of the king. You have unlimited grace. 
You get to be used of God. You get your prayers answered. You have more than you deserve in life. You have so much to be happy about. We should be overjoyed, rejoicing with exceeding great joy. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. Our lives ought to be such that they point people to Jesus. It ought to be convincing the life that we live. They celebrated. The second thing I see here about these wise men is that they worshiped. So they come into the house, and when they saw Jesus, they worshiped. Now, among the Orientals, especially the Persians, this was a big deal. It involved falling upon your knees and touching the ground with your forehead as an expression of profound reverence. I mean, they had read about him. They traveled 900 miles to try to find him. And you know when they left, they weren't like really confident. They weren't 100% sure, but they were all in, right? They, they brought their gifts. They had their entourage. They, they even got an audience with King Herod. They were all in on this. And when they finally found the Christ child, they they got on their knees, put their head to the ground, and worshiped him. And here's what's ironic, right? The Jews who had the scriptures, they were the ones who told the wise men where to find Jesus. Jerusalem is only six miles away from Bethlehem. And yet they were totally disinterested in what was happening. Whereas these Gentiles from far away with a broken system, like they're not, they're not even following Jewish law, are coming to see this king and they bow down and worship him. It's no mistake, I don't think, that the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms, which is a book full of praising and worshiping God. If you go to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, that talks about the end times, it ends up with all the saints and angels in heaven falling down on their faces and worshiping God. It's what we do. It's what we're created to do. It's what we're going to do for all of eternity. It's something that we ought to be practicing now. It is, it is what we are created for. John MacArthur said this, he said, worship, and I love this succinct definition, worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. What an honor. To not only know God, but to be known of God. But can I also say this, what a relief that he is God and I'm not. Like how many times in my life have I frustrated myself trying to figure this all out and trying to, trying to do what I do and trying to, trying to make it happen and what a relief it is for me to know that I'm not God and that God is more interested in helping that individual than I am and that God is, has got more at stake than I do 
And he is God. And I, whether you are by yourself worshiping the Lord or whether you are worshiping the Lord corporately at an event like this, just keep in mind that when you are worshiping, you have an audience of one. And I, I would just encourage us that while James is up here and we've got the band going on and we're in corporate worship, that as we are singing these songs, that you keep the focus on the Lord and that you are worshiping him and not just singing together. Like it, it becomes this, this moment between you and the Lord and that we worship together. And the third thing I see the wise men doing, and that is that they gave. They gave. And you're like, oh, no. Not a giving message. Come on, it's Christmas time, Eric. I don't like giving messages. It's Christmas time. I got bills to pay, presents to buy. I get it. Oh, by the way, we're offering Financial Peace University in January. (laughs) For all of you overspenders, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? In fact, givers love giving messages. They do. I mean, we are celebrating Jesus' birthday, right? Seems appropriate to talk about giving. The three gifts that they gave, I'm not saying you have to, the three gifts that they gave was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One of my favorite cartoons this week, and I actually forgot to put it up here. I, let me rephrase that. I put it up here, then I took it down. But I wish I hadn't had that thought to take it down it was a a stand and this guy was selling gold in the middle east and there was a little sign and off to the side it had uh frankincense and myrrh and it said customers who bought gold also bought (laughs) if you're a prime member you enjoy that (laughs) so they go go so so i think commentators put a lot more emphasis on the symbolic value of what they gave than probably the the wise men did themselves just if i'm being real with you um i think that the 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 wise men um brought um expensive and and uncommon gifts to this king I don't think they were thinking the way that we think about it in hindsight, but it is kind of cool to think about it. So, so you give gold, and it represents the, 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 the kingship of Christ, right? You give gold to a king. And then the frankincense uh, has to do with the divinity of Christ or his priesthood. And the myrrh was um, um, also used as an embalming fluid. It, um, it, it references his sacrificial death. We are told that Nicodemus um, purchased 100 pounds of myrrh when they embalmed Christ's body after they pulled him off the cross. So as you look back on this, there's a lot of symbolism here, but I'm not, I'm not so certain that, the, that these wise men were thinking that way about all of this. But wouldn't you love to love to give like these wise men gave? So just think about that statement. Wouldn't you love to love to give 
like the why? You're afraid to answer. It's not a trick question, all right? I'm not, I, we're not videotaping this right now, okay? I'm not, I'm, we don't have anything on the audience. I'm just saying, but wouldn't it be fun to have the freedom to be able to be generous? Wouldn't you love to love to give? Wouldn't it? So, let me just, so let me just say this very quickly. Love gives. Love gives. You can't get around it. You can't get away from it. You can't escape it. That is a fact. Love gives. I know this, that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. We give because we love. Let me tell you, I I can't wait for Christmas to get here. This is, this is our 30th year of marriage. And I can't wait for her to open her presents. And that's just me being honest with you. I mean, I am so excited about what she has. Under, and I even like wrapping the gifts. I love wrapping. I like making them nice and neat. I'm one of those kind of guys. I just like, I love the lines they put on the back of the paper. <laughs> OMG. Whoever invented that, you're my best friend. I love wrapping the gifts. I love, it's, it's all like I, I, I love putting out on the table. Just, just put some UFC on. And let me wrap Christmas presents. That is like, oh. And they're all under the tree. I have them numbered. One, two, or three based on value. She only has one one. She has a bunch of twos and a couple of threes. Because, you know, I don't remember what they are at this point. There's a lot of them. And so, like, you know, I pull it out. Oh, what's that one? What number is that one? Okay, no, don't give her that one. Let's give her this one right now. I've already told you too much about my personal life, but that's, I love to give this lady Presents, I love to give. Number one, she is an incredibly grateful receiver. Like, I'm serious. Like, I could, I could draw her a picture on a three-by-five card and scotch tape it to a pine cone, and she would be like, That's why I love to give her gifts. It's like you can't go wrong. It just makes it so easy. I love to give this lady gifts, right? And so, but love gives. That's what love does. And here we are celebrating Christmas, reading the story of the wise men. And I just want to bring this out, that that we only love God because he loved us first. And he gave the ultimate gift, and that was Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 3.16, Romans 5.8, but God showed his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God 
for his love for us. And here's, here's the beautiful thing about this gift that he has given. It's, we have a free will, and it's our choice to receive it. He doesn't force his love upon us. And it is our decision to receive this gift. It's the whosoever believes in him has everlasting life. And if you believe that and if you trust Christ and if you accept him as your savior, then our ultimate gift to him is ourselves. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Like That's our gift to him, is ourselves. And I would dare say, if we're willing to give ourselves to him, there's nothing that we think that we own or have or have earned that would not be freely given as well. So if there's anything that we have or own or feel like we have earned that we are not willing to give the Lord, then we have not given ourselves to him. And that is our ultimate gift. I love what Craig Rochelle says. He says this, bring God our first and our best, then trust God to bless the rest. I love that. That's faith. So I don't know where you are this morning. If you know Jesus, like you know him, you don't just know of him or you know about him, you know him, act like it, be happy, be generous, honor him. If you don't know Jesus personally, then don't be guilty of being this close And not having enough interest to take the next step. We're going to stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask my friend Kenny to come forward. And if you would like to have a conversation about this, then he'll be here to come and talk to and pray. Let's all stand together and I'll pray. And then James come and sing. And then Kenny will be down front to have a conversation with you. If you would like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I love you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited about this time of year. And I want you to enjoy yourself. But my heart is that if you don't know Jesus, that that would happen this morning. And that if you do, you would act like it. That you'd be a little bit more like he wants you to be this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I pray, Father, you would just help us to receive the gift of salvation and that you would help us as your children to be who you want us to be and reflect the relationship that we say we have and the difference it's supposed to make in our life in how we treat our children and our parents and our spouses and our coworkers and our neighbors. I pray, Father, you would just help us to be who we ought. In Jesus' name, amen.